Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, in a conversation that's being recorded on the 2nd of September, 2020. And we're going to talk to a guest that we have had on the program many times in the past. So I know my long-term listeners will be familiar with him, but there are always new listeners tuning in. And so we're going to spread this message even farther today. We are talking to Richard Gage, who is, I again, I hope people will know, the, the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. And in fact, if you go to uh, the AE 9-11 Truth homepage at AE911Truth.org, you will be able to find more information about the the organization generally and Richard Gage specifically reading from his bio. Richard Gage, AIA, is a San Francisco Bay Area architect of 30 years, a member of the American Institute of Architects and the founder and president of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth which represents more than 3,000 architects and engineers who have signed the organization's petition demanding a new investigation of the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. And I would like to think that everyone by now knows three skyscrapers were completely destroyed on the day of 9-11, but still, there are people who may not be aware of the existence of Building 7, so let's correct that today, along with many other misconceptions and preconceptions people might have about the official story of September 11, 2001. Richard Gage, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, James. It's an honor to be here with you. I've, I've really enjoyed your work and learned so much from you. Well, I appreciate you coming on today to update us on the various activities that architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth are engaged in right now. There are always new things and new stories that are coming up, and uh, there's so much to cover. Uh, It has been a while since our last conversation, so let's get into some of the latest information and action that AE 9-11 Truth has been taking. And I will start today by looking at an article that you guys posted up last month, a tailor-made opportunity to get the 9-11 evidence into court, help this family obtain a new inquest into the death of their son. And obviously, I will link this article and everything else that we talk about today in the show notes. But just reading from the uh, introduction that you write here, you say, Dear friends, a courageous family needs your help, and their struggle for justice offers what I believe is the best opportunity the 9-11 truth movement has ever had to break through on a global scale. Now, this article goes through the story of the family of Jeffrey Thomas Campbell, who was a British man who died at the age of 31 in the North Tower uh, on 9-11. Tell us the story of this family and how this information could be used, or this court case could be used to get 9-11 truth information into court. Well, the official inquest in the UK into his death, uh, Jeff Campbell, and the the other family members uh, who lost uh, uh, their their family members um, says that these family members died as a result of the the planes hitting the towers, and then the jet fuel started these fires that eventually caused the sagging of floor trusses and then the whole building falling in on itself, which we completely disprove over the last 14 years now at AE 911 Truth with 3,000 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation as a result of these fraudulent reports put out by NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So uh, Jeff died in the 106th floor of the North Tower above the point of jet plane impacts. And uh, he didn't have a chance uh, to to get out of there. Um, 
and uh, this is um, uh, a a great opportunity for us internationally in an international court system to assemble the evidence that we have been putting together for so long. And uh, now it's already been assembled, as many of your listeners know, to give to a special grand jury in Manhattan. Well, we've packaged that up specially for this UK uh, court system. Uh, The barrister is what they call lawyers in the UK. Nick Stanage is an extraordinary individual who's taken on the government on numerous occasions and has been very successful. He says this has an extremely good chance of getting a new inquest because the threshold of um, of uh, of meeting the criteria is actually very low. Uh, in other words, if it might result in a new outcome, then you have to do the inquest. And clearly, the evidence we have is overwhelming and irrefutable. So uh, he's very excited about this. We're going to be having uh, Matt Campbell, by the way, uh, on our conference, which I think we'll be talking about today, too. So people can learn a whole lot more directly from Matt about his brother, Jeff, and this case, uh, which really is tailor-made. We're as excited, more excited about this opportunity to get a legal case in and and win, uh, basically, because if the when the inquest is actually granted in in the United Kingdom, uh, other family member members will wake up and join in in, in the UK, and, and this will grow and grow. It'll also feed back into the United States here where uh, we believe uh, many more families will jump on the bandwagon. What? You mean You mean an inquest has basically proven uh, that these towers came not down uh, as a result of the planes, but by what? Well, the summary we gave them shows uh, clearly uh, that the uh, that, that there's 156 witnesses, most mostly uh, uh, paramedics and firefighters, um, all together in the 500 oral reports that are describing uh, explosions before the tower ever begins to collapse, many seconds before, and, and uh, flashes of light also coming out of the towers. So uh, these are very, very credible accounts of explosions. But we see those explosions as well in the towers with isolated explosive ejections uh, laterally out of the towers, 20, 40, even 60 stories down below the point of jet plane impacts in each of these towers. And uh, this cannot be explained in, in, in any other way. We also have the hurling of lateral ejection of four and eight ton structural steel sections, 600 feet ejected laterally out of the towers. You know, gravity works down. A gravitational collapse, as we're told this was, works down. But these are destroying the buildings around them. And, uh, you know, this is as much energy as it takes to hurl a a 200-pound cannonball three miles. And then we also have the evidence uh, in the dust uh, of uh, molten iron uh, spheres, uh, molten iron uh, spheres, which are previously molten iron, and uh, they're microspheres about the diameter of a human hair. These are found by the USGS, uh, US Geological Survey, and RJ Lee Group 
independently documented billions of them, up to four tons of this stuff, which they can't even identify its source. They say it's formed during the event. So it's not before by the construction workers or after by the iron workers tearing the, the pieces of the remaining building down. So wh where does this come from? Well, they, there's a team of eight scientists which also find in all the World Trade Center dust samples these curious red-gray chips, uh, red on one side, gray on the other. They're, they're formed due to fluids. I thought they were paint, right? But these act very, very curiously in a heater. They ignite, producing uh, at, at 758 degrees Fahrenheit, what do they produce? Molten iron microspheres. So this is fascinating. Uh, this tells us where those spheres came from. Well, they find that uh, it was through working with a nuclear microscope, like 100 to, uh, what is it? No, it's, it's 50,000 times magnification. Uh, iron oxide particles and aluminum platelets that are the, the size of, uh, they're at the nanoscale, 1,000 times smaller in the diameter of a human hair. So they find nanothermite. This is very special material. There's no question about what it is. It's extremely exotic. It's not paint. And it produces those spheres that the USGS couldn't identify. And we have molten iron pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse. We have pools of molten iron down in the debris pile. We have fires that couldn't be put out for three months. Uh, all of this evidence uh, is very clear evidence for the destruction of incendiaries and then high-energy explosives with the pulverization of 90,000 tons of concrete to a fine powder, all of which was distributed outside the footprint of the building, 99% of the concrete in this building. And by the way, 99% of the steel outside the footprint. So here's two-thirds of the weight of the building that's not available to crush the building all the way down to the ground uh, and then crush itself, according to the official story, which is ludicrous because the videos show that it crushes itself. Uh, it's telescoping in on itself in the first uh, four, four seconds. That upper part is gone. So this is the the, the, the evidence, along with all of its documentation that we've, um, we're going to be submitting uh, to the UK to help Matt get that new inquest. It's a fascinating story. And uh, as you say, a great opportunity because it does, I think a lot of people might think of the legal opportunities for presenting this information solely in the US context, either federal or even just New York State. But no, there are uh, many people of many different nationalities who were killed that day that have legal recourse in their own country. So it is refreshing to see this take. Uh, people who are interested in more information about this case in particular can go to a PDF that you have up on AE 9-11 Truth called The Campaign for a Fresh Inquest into the Death of Jeffrey Thomas Campbell on September 11, 2001, a summary. And it's just a short three-page three summary of the case and uh, where it stands. So I will direct people in that direction. But how, how can people who are interested in this case and motivated to see it uh, opened, how can they help in that process? Yeah, these guys uh, are first-class barristers. Uh, they They are... They are $500 an hour, and we have to support them. So we've had a campaign going on, uh, thanks for mentioning it, James, for um, uh, uh, two weeks now. And uh, we're, we're getting there. I think we're about two-thirds of the way. 
Uh, but we've got to we've got to have the dollars uh, in 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 over to these barristers before they go to the next level and submit this to the uh, attorney general. They call it over there, uh, who will approve. Uh, there's every indication to believe that, that uh, she, uh, Suella is her name, uh, will approve this uh, inquest. So please, everybody at the website, you can donate at AE. 911truth.org and learn more about this vital case for the 9-11 truth movement. All right. Well, that certainly does delve into the WTC1 and WTC2 destruction. But as we mentioned earlier, the three skyscrapers that were completely destroyed on that day include WTC7, Building 7, which, again, many people have heard of who are involved in the 9-11 truth movement, but still a surprising number of people may not even know the existence of, let alone that there are any questions about its destruction. Uh, in an attempt to correct that record in a highly scientific way, I know architects and engineers for 9-11 truth have been uh, promoting and, and helping along with the University of Alaska, uh, Alaska Fairbanks doing an independent inquiry into that that has resulted in a final report that was released this past March, perhaps unfortunate timing because obviously news uh, events have overshadowed that particular story, but uh, it is time to reflect on this and what it really means, uh, obviously, as we approach the 19th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, people will remember that I did talk about this study from the University of Alaska Fairbanks back when they issued their preliminary report last September in a Propaganda Watch video I did called When is the News Not the News? Talking about people not talking about this study. Uh, but let's let's talk about the latest, and I'll again I'll post up the link to ae911truth.org/wtc7, where people can find a direct link to this final report from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Tell us a little bit about this report, where it came from, and what it concluded. Yes, one of our supporters uh, convinced, uh, after a third try, uh, the chairman of the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. That was like uh, four and a half years ago. Well, he spent the last four years developing this finite element analysis. This is a major study, and uh, it's very exciting uh, for us because uh, this is on Building 7. Now, the third tower that came down, for those who don't know, here's a 47-story skyscraper about 100 yards from the North Tower. Uh, it was built in 1986 or so, and, and it was then made part of the World Trade Center complex. Uh, Larry Silverstein developed it. And I hear uh, we, at, at 520 in the afternoon, after witnesses hear explosions, this building drops like a rock straight down, uniformly, suddenly, symmetrically, into its own footprint in under seven seconds. Just like the old hotels in Las Vegas. This falls as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. So uh, it's obvious to most everybody who sees it uh, that this is a controlled demolition, right? It looks just like the old hotels in Las Vegas. Well, um, we find through going around to conferences around the, the country, uh, dozens and dozens of them, maybe a hundred by now, um, that uh, most architects and engineers know nothing about the third worst structural failure in modern history. Uh, you know, after the Twin Towers, this is uh, an extraordinary um, uh, uh, secret. Uh, the, the the American Institute of Architects, of, of which I'm a member of one of 80,000, uh, we never got one bulletin 
on the destruction of this building. The fact that it came down, that it came down due to normal office fires, according to NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked with explaining this collapse to the American people. And they have this elaborate explanation of how this fire caused uh, expansion of these beams uh, pushing this girder off of its seat on this one column 79. And then that, that girder falls off that column and that floor falls on the next one in a progressive collapse for nine floors, keeping this column unbraced, uh, making this column unbraced. And, and finally, it, big, it buckles. And then there's this instability that travels all the way to the, the, to the uh, roof of this building and then laterally across the building in six seconds before uh, the whole building falls down. Well, none uh, uh, at once. Uh, none of that could have happened uh, for a whole variety of reasons, many of which the University of Alaska has uh, completely uh, uh, disproven uh, those those assumptions and uh, and theories uh, of NIST. The, the conclusion from the study in Alaska is that the building uh, could only have come down like we see in all the videos, and there's 11 videos of this building's collapse, by the simultaneous removal of all the columns in the building over about a second. <laughs> so, so uh, what is that? I mean, what in the heck can do that? You know, only controlled demolition can do that. And of course, that doesn't happen in an afternoon by a group of people going into a burning building and, and setting up explosives. No, uh, this, this, uh, and these fires, by the way, were only few and small and scattered. And, and no office fire has ever brought down a skyscraper, a uh, steel frame uh, skyscraper. So, and here we've got, you know, this incredible 130-page study that they're now working on a peer-reviewed paper. And we've sent this study to uh, the final report now to uh, 200 out of the 400 we intend to, uh, and top engineering associations and universities and firms in the world. Um, so, uh, this is, uh, this is going to make waves too. And yeah, you got that right. Uh, timing was most unfortunate, uh, for us because COVID-19 came along with its, uh, uh, suspect, um, origins and, um, manipulated, uh, solutions. Uh, so we have, which you've been covering very nicely, that's outside of our scope, but, uh, we're not naive to what's, uh, what's going on in the world. In fact, we encourage people to not believe anything you see in the mainstream media about this situation, but uh, do your own research. Watch, uh, for instance, the Corbett Report, which is uh, about getting underneath the, the propaganda and looking at what's really going on. Indeed, and WTC7, again, will not be a subject that is unfamiliar to my regular viewers. I've talked about it since since NIST issued their original report way back in 2008. And on that very note, you do have uh, something, some sort of news on that front. Uh, this coming from an article published on August 31st. Statement, 9-11 families and experts to appeal egregious NIST Building 7 decision noting that architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth is sorely disappointed to report that on Friday, August 28, 2020, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, issued its initial decision denying the request for correction, 
that we, together with 10 9-11 family members and 88 architects and structural engineers, submitted on April 15th, 2020, regarding NIST's 2008 report on the collapse of World Trade Center Building 7. So, Richard, can you, can you set the table for this conversation? What are we talking about with regards to this request for correction, and what does their denial of that mean? Yeah, we have um, eight key points where we felt NIST was most vulnerable in their fraudulent theories about how this building came down by normal office fires. And uh, uh, we were very specific. None of these points uh, could be handled by NIST without a complete overhaul of their initiation of collapse theory. In other words, a withdrawal of their assertion. But what they did instead is... Uh, on a very surface basis, uh, give the most uh, 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 unrealistic, um, uh, false um, uh, explanations for why our our points were were not valid, and thus they denied each of the eight. Uh, So, uh, and, and you can see, uh, for instance, uh, let me read you the work of uh, Ted Walter here on one of these examples. Uh, Ted's the, the on-site genius we have who challenges NIST at every opportunity. Uh, he's our director of strategy and development here at AE911 Truth. He says, NIST's only response to the first claim uh, in the request is to describe the position of a key girder and column in relation to each other at room temperature, implying that lateral displacement and walk-off of the girder was possible from this position when this knows full well what matters actually is the position of the girder and column in relation to each other at elevated temperatures claimed by NIST. In other words, the fire elevated these temperatures. Even NIST's own analysis shows that at elevated temperatures, the girder would have expanded and become trapped behind the column's side plate because there were additional stiffeners on each side of this wide flange column, thus preventing the girder walk-off that is alleged to have initiated a progressive collapse of the building. Uh, So we've pointed out that they completely omit key structural components as well, such as the stiffeners, which would have kept the flanges from folding. Because NIST's whole theory is that the girder that was pushed off by these expanding beams only had to be pushed off halfway off of its seat. And then the flange, the bottom horizontal piece, simply had to fold. But the stiffeners would have kept those from folding. But they have another quite um, uh, false and and surface uh, answer that might appeal to the logic of somebody who didn't know about the evidence that we've been presenting and hadn't read the actual request for correction. Uh, so we still think we've got them uh, quite in a vulnerable place. Uh, so we'll be submitting our appeal, uh, which is allowed for at NIST. Uh, it'll go to their associate director of laboratory programs, James Olfoff. And um, so they say no individuals who, who were involved in the initial denial will be involved in the review of the appeal. 
So um, we we hope for some new fresh eyes and some uh, actual uh, uh, justice, you know, objective justice here. And in case that doesn't work, uh, we'll be coming back with an actual lawsuit. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We've got to get our response into Mr. Olaf by September 27th in about a month. For people who are unaware of how thorough uh, a, your document, your request was, I will link them to the, the actual request itself, all 106 pages of it, and then the 10-page response that you got back from NIST. And I will let people who are te- technically inclined, uh, engineers, architects, or those who are interested in these subjects, to take a look at this information for itself, because I think it does speak for itself, the thoroughness of the points that you raise versus the haphazard nature of NIST's answer. Uh, There's a lot of information to go through there, um, and I hope people will do so. But while we are on the subject of WTC7 and reaching out to people who may not know these types of details, I know that, again, AE911 Truth has been at the forefront of leading the fight for raising public awareness of this information, including by being behind the production of a new documentary from Dylan Avery of Loose Change fame, uh, who is directing a documentary called Seven that focuses on the destruction of World Trade Center Building Seven and does include, of course, Leroy Holsey and his uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks team. So let's talk a little bit about this documentary. Yeah, we were really, really happy that uh, Dylan agreed to take on this project. He's famous in the 9-11 truth movement. His film, uh, Loose Change 9-11, and the versions of it have been seen altogether uh, over a hundred million times uh, when you add it all up. And and uh, so he is an icon. And by the way, he will also be at the upcoming conference that we're hosting online at uh, 9-11, Friday, 9-12, Saturday, and 9-13, Sunday. But uh, he'll be talking there about this film, uh, which it's quite a story, the hiring of Professor Halsey and the support of his team by many engineers uh, who are supporters of AE-911 Truth who have been doing the digging for 10, and some of them, almost 20 years. And so we have uh, uh, got all of them on film, uh, not all of them, uh, many of them, including Professor Halsey, and uh, and, and it, the, 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 the film... Uh, videographers have gone to the actual uh, uh, place where Professor Halsey did his work. They've interviewed students there. It's And, and guess who's narrating this whole thing? Uh, the famous actor, Ed Asner. Uh, so we're very excited to see this all coming together. I haven't even seen the rough cut yet. So it'll be coming together, we hope, in September. Um, but uh, it might take a little bit longer than that uh, to get it out. Very exciting. Uh, I, I just can't wait to, to get it out there. This is a first class, you know, A production. The director of photography has won many awards. Dylan himself has won awards, such as for his film Black and Blue about police abuse in New York. Uh, and that's all, of course, since he was 18, which was when, how old he was, I think, when he made Loose Change 9 11. Right, it's been 20 years, so he's matured quite a bit now. Even uh, with since that uh, great production, that first production of his. 
Absolutely. And for people who are interested in at least getting the, uh, the taste of this documentary, of course, you did release the official teaser up on your YouTube channel a couple of months ago that uh, did make some some waves. It was uh, played on uh, PBS, for example, and even that playing got media coverage on Fox News Radio and other places. So I will direct people up to a post you have up on a 911truth.org. Short version of new documentary 7 begins airing today on PBS, where you can find out more information about that and watch the the teaser. And I hope people will watch it because I, I, watching it myself, I, I you can't help but notice, even if you turned the sound off, even if you had no idea what this is about, this looks like a professional documentary. This is extremely good work. So uh, I'm very excited to see the finished version of that. And you do raise the specter of this conference, this conference that we've mentioned a couple of times, as you say, taking place on Friday 9-11, as well as Saturday 9-12 and Sunday 9-13 this year. Uh, it is not taking place in a physical location because nothing is taking place in a physical location these days. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about Justice Rising, this conference, and what it involves. Yeah, this is a, a big production for us. Um, we're upping our game. Uh, it will be online through the StreamYard uh, format, which gives us uh, some really good-looking uh, uh, shots and so forth. Um, but the the speakers themselves uh, is what really shines here. We mentioned um, Matt Campbell, uh, the brother of Jeff Campbell, who was uh, literally uh, – they, they only found some small pieces of his body. This, this is in and of itself, by the way, direct evidence of explosive destruction of the North Tower. Um, the, in fact, there, there's over 1,100 bodies that were never found at all, not even a piece small enough to fit into a test tube, of which there were 20,000 of those, by the way. So this explosive evidence uh, is included uh, also uh, in the, uh, that which we're providing to the UK in this, for this effort to get an inquest. Um, we will go into detail on the request for correction with uh, Ted Walter, Tony Zambodi, and uh, attorney Mick Harrison, who assisted with that whole effort. And then we go to Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, who have yet another submission to the Attorney General in Manhattan for a um, new uh, special grand jury just on the subject of anthrax uh, and, and uh, the evidence that that ties that to the whole 9-11 set of events is extraordinary. So don't miss that. Now, by the way, this all starts 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday and uh, ends at 9 p.m. Eastern. on su su that, That's Justice Friday. Uh, Science Saturday is where we uh, come in with Dylan Avery and we show some extended clips of this film that we were just talking about. So that'll be great. Leroy Halsey will be here in person also. So very exciting. Uh, live. We'll be live streaming this, and it's free. It's all all free. Just uh, please come. That starts at 3 p.m. on Saturday. And then uh, at 4 p.m., we go to uh, the evidence of Building 7 and the Twin Towers with Roland Angle, civil engineer, and myself. He's leader of our project due diligence effort to wake up every engineer in the country. And they're doing an extraordinary job with many dozen engineers who are speaking around the country on this subject. Um, we go to the pioneers of the 9-11 truth movement. This is what I can't wait for. We've got uh, all together on one platform, Stephen Jones, David Ray Griffin, and Niels Harrett. We haven't heard from some of these 
folks for years and years. And these are the pioneers of the technical and uh, philosophical and um, uh, evidence uh, outside the scope of the technical evidence of the Twin Towers. But including that, too, David Ray Griffin has uh, uh, written an incredible book on the destruction of Building 7 and the fraudulent reports by NIST. So that'll be very special. That happens at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern. That that ends Saturday's three hours. And then we go back on to Big Picture Sunday, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, Daniela Ganser from Switzerland, an expert in false flags and uh, the extended wars and, uh, and, and manipulation of people by their governments uh, on 9-11, 6 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And... Uh, we have John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute, and he will be talking about the uh, advancing police state as a result of 9-11, since 9-11, and uh, he's an expert. He's a constitutional attorney, and I highly recommend people uh, look at him even before you, you get here. Uh, go to the Rutherford, excuse me, Rutherford.org uh, and see his incredible uh, work. Uh, he's about... He's very supportive of the 9-11 truth movement. And then at 8 p.m., uh, the highlight of, uh, of this uh, Sunday evening, uh, one of our keynote speakers, we have the Library of Alexandria is on fire. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Internet censorship from 9-11 to today. And uh, our own James Corbett. Well, I consider him my own because he's inspired me now for 14 years. When did you get started, James? I, 2007, I so just over 13 years. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, I got started in the information 14 years ago when the internet looked like a very different place than it does today because of internet censorship, which is going to be the subject of my speech. And uh, I think there's going to be... I, I, I'm I'm very excited about this speech. I think there's a lot of very important information that needs to get out there, especially for people who are interested in combating the mainstream official dogma of such things as September 11th. Uh, the internet has enabled and this incredible flowering of people all around the world to access this information that is being curtailed right now. And we have to be aware of what is happening, how it is happening, and how we can counteract that. So I definitely am highly motivated to give this uh, speech at the Justice Rising Conference. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. Uh, for people who are interested in the, the whole schedule, it is up there at ae911truth.org slash justice rising. And as you say, this will be free to view. Uh, and I assume people will go to that link at that time in order to find the link to that's the right. You can't miss it. It'll be all over the place right on our, our homepage, ae911truth.org. And if you want to go straight there, ae911truth.org slash justice rising. And for those of us in Japan or elsewhere around the world who may not be able to make it to all nine hours of this as it is happening live, uh, will we be able to find this archived at some later date? Yeah, it's in fact, uh, hours after, well, within minutes probably, but maybe half an hour after each evening, the archive will be on our website also. So the same place you watched it live from, you can watch it again or send that same link to your friends to watch the YouTube archive there assuming that uh, they haven't taken it down, which they are doing now with issues like 
and uh, many other issues. So uh, we cross our fingers, you know, every day we're still on YouTube with 60,000, I think now, uh, uh, fans, supporters, subscribers. There we go. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I am on YouTube myself, but I do not take it for granted that I will be there for long, let alone forever. So I always encourage people to find my work via other outlets. I hope you are backing up your data on other platforms as well. And I can tell you I will be backing up your data for you, <laughs> even if you're not. <laughs> so uh, we will make sure that this uh, gets preserved because it is important for the future of humanity. Uh, I, I hope people can tell from just the discussion we've had today, the incredible work that is going on uh, in 9-11 Truth to this day, 19 years later, uh, through organizations like AE911truth.org that are continuing to do this work. And you cannot continue to do it without the support of people out there supporting this work by spreading the information, by letting other people know about this, by waking other people up to it, and by supporting your organization specifically. Tell us a little bit about the work overall that AE911Truth does and how people can get behind it. Yes, um, uh, we work with uh, six staff here and uh, dozens of volunteers, and we don't get any grants to do any of that. So how does that happen? It happens because people like you have joined the family of sustaining supporters at AE911Truth for a cup of coffee a month, you know, five bucks a month or on up. Uh, we have uh, a thousand su supporters. Well, now about sixteen hundred, uh, with our recent uh, uh, drive uh, for our membership. So uh, people support like that or one-time donations. Uh, we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. So please do uh, support us while you're supporting James over there at the Corbett Report. All right. Uh, as I say, there's so much information, so much happening. Uh, we've talked about so much today. All of the links will be in the show notes uh, for this conversation for people who are interested in getting into the details of any one or all of these subjects. But of course, the one-stop shop for all the information is AE911truth.org. Richard Gage, I think, unless you have anything else to add, I think we'll leave it there for today. It's good, James. And thank you so much for the opportunity. I look forward to seeing you on September 13th. That's right. I will be there, and I hope people will check out the whole Justice Rising conference. Once again, AE911truth.org slash Justice Rising for details on that. On that note, we're going to leave it there for today. Richard Gage, thank you for joining us today. Thank you.